It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Thursday's Football Social Daily, where we'll pick up the pieces from transfer deadline day. Tottenham have gone royal, Barcelona defender Emerson Royal, that is. We'll discuss his arrival in North London, as well as rivals Arsenal and their impending Amazon documentary. Not only that, because it's the international break, of course, Premier League football takes a backseat for now and England are back in action tonight for the first time since losing to Italy in the Euro 2020 final. Will we see a fresh formula from the three Lions or will it be the same old stuff from Southgate? All that to come on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the top flight season. I'm Niall McCorn and with me today it's podcast junkie Marley Anderson. Just can't stay away for long, can he? We've given him a day off to recharge the batteries and now he's back. How are you doing, Marley? Yeah, good. I'm. I'm not been on since I think it was last last Friday. So you know, I'm getting withdrawal symptoms now thanks to the bank holiday weekend. <laughs> He's had a few days off. He can't wait to be back. He's back on the show and also back with us today, Callum Tyler. How are you doing, Cal? I'm good. I've come to answer the critics of Scottish football. That is Jim Salverson, by all accounts. Yeah, Jim on yesterday's <laughs> show fired some shots at the quality of the Scottish Premiership when we discussed <laughs> Odson Edwards' move from Celtic to Crystal Palace. So I was hoping you'd come armed with some sort of ammunition to fire back at him. Well, John McGinn, Virgil van Dijk, and who was the other one I said earlier? Oh, with this, this Stuart Armstrong. There's been a few have made their name in Scotland. <laughs> Robertson. Robertson, of course. Yeah, it's not, uh, not quite how, a public. How can you forget Robertson yeah. there? <laughs> He plays Tierney. And Tierney. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, you know. Jim was so wrong. <laughs> Basically, all of the Scotland players that got beat last night by Denmark in the World Cup qualifier. 2 0 it finished there. Uh, the Republic of Ireland as well in the headlines. On the receiving end, though, of some Ronaldo record breaking as the Manchester United man scored twice in the last five minutes to break the men's international goal-scoring record, even after 19-year-old Pompey keeper Gavin Bazunu earlier saved his penalty. But tonight, the focus will swivel to Eastern Europe and to England, who have an away game against Hungary in their World Cup qualifier. England are top of their group, Hungary a second. That's where we're going to start with the three Lions. 
from what we've seen recently from England in the Euros and in qualification games in the recent past, and even on paper, really, this should be a comfy win for England against Hungary tonight, Marley. Uh, you'd, yeah, you'd think so. But I feel like um, Hungary aren't a bad team at all. Um, I think they were very, very unlucky to get the group that they did in the uh, in the Euros. They ended up in with... Was Portugal. it um, Portugal, Germany, Germany Portugal, and France? Yeah, France. Was it? My <laughs> Jesus, that's that's a tough one. But um, they are—they're not a bad time, bad bad side at all. That um, Shabozlai, the midfielder, is a, a quality player. Um, I think Balas Judjak's still knocking around, maybe. Um, and uh, Adam Charley as a striker is pretty, pretty, pretty much like a, a battering ram. But having said that, England should be riding the the. The crest of a wave right now, um, coming off the back of getting to the Euros finals, you know, it didn't go the way we wanted, but um, yeah, it's it's still England's to lose sort of thing. Um, Hungary do play all right though, so I think it's one of these international games that that is actually worth watching. You know, when we play Andorra on Sunday, I feel like it'd be different because it, we're just waiting for England to win and seeing how many goals we can score. Um, and it's the same when we play San Marino and things like that. It's not one of them. It's it's a, a team with actual ambition, Hungary, and they can they can play a bit. So mm. it might be a decent watch. Talking about old players from years gone by or players that are still playing for Hungary, do either of you remember Gabor Kirai? Oh, of course. Was this the goalkeeper that played in trousers? <laughs> in yeah. grey joggers. Goal, what a yeah. legend. What a guy. What an absolute legend. What possesses <laughs> someone to think, I'm going to wear grey joggers <laughs> in the Premier League? I, I bet that wouldn't be allowed anymore. That's the thing. It's like... He's kind of the last of the eccentrics, do you know what I mean? I respect that, though. I respect yeah. that. Marley, I'm expecting a Gabor Kirai appreciation post on the Sports Social Twitter feed oh, later. Absolutely. I'll keep my eye I, out for I it. Think, <laughs> I think I know why he wears them. I think there was one game where I think the kit man forgot his shorts or something stupid like that, and he had to wear the pants, and he had a stormer, and he just wore them for the rest of his career. It became like superstition. <laughs> So yeah, hope, hope they wheel him out tonight. <laughs> what a legend. Um, Gabor Kirai, obviously long retired, but I think Marley's got a great point when it comes to the Euros, Callum, because as we say, they were in the group of death with three teams or two teams at least who were tipped to win the tournament. But they actually had a good Euros despite finishing bottom of their group. They put in some really good performances, some admirable displays. And in front of 60,000 fans tonight in Hungary, they'll be bang up for this against England. Absolutely. I think, I was just going to say, I think one of the reasons they did so well at the Euros was they were one of the few teams, if not the only team, that were playing in front of a full house. Um, and it's that lovely big new stadium that they've built, the Ferenc Pushkash Arena, um, which, you know, and, and the Hungarians, the, the fans were pretty f- ferocious. Um, there was, you know, a bit of controversy potentially about their, some of their political views. Um, but there was, you know, as a, a kind of mass of noise, um, it was pretty intimidating and like you say they'll be right up for it they're getting one of the finalists in their own backyard not long after the tournament um, and they will they will feel like England are there for the taking especially as you know you look at the squad these players haven't really had a break they've all been playing Premier League football again um, and I, I I always wonder if they're like in the show notes is you know is there going to be a Euros hangover I don't see how there can't be like you know to have to fly back over that side of the world to play another game for England um, yeah, I, I would actually probably fancy Hungary at this stage. Yeah, they're obviously second in this World Cup qualification group, which includes the likes of Andorra and I think, did you say San Marino as well, Marley? So, I mean, the chances of them qualifying looks pretty good at the moment and actually England probably posed their toughest test as things stand 
at the moment. With England reaching the Euros final only a few months ago and losing on penalties to Italy in that disappointing fashion, do you think there's a potential for there to be a hangover from that? Mali because the country was riding the crest of a wave and everyone was on such a high with the journey that England took to the final of that tournament and it really did kind of rejuvenate a lot of people's love for the national team but the difference between tournament football and you know qualification football and international breaks is stark so do you think that there's the potential for there to be a bit of a hangover from that success? Uh, There's always the potential there I suppose Um, the one thing I'd kind of be a bit wary about is the fact that it's it's so easy to criticise the team when, like, if the result doesn't go our way tonight, if it's a one-all draw or a nil-nil draw, something like that, I feel like there'll be a lot of people being like, right, that's it, we've we've peaked at the at the Euros and we're no good anymore, and there'll be a lot of like um, undue criticism for it. But I feel like it's not one of them where you can write the team off because of one result. I think at the minute. With the with the international break coming so close to the start of the season, nobody really wants to see international football right now. Um, everyone's getting excited for the season, seeing how things are, are settling in, um, and you're seeing teams fly away and play mostly pointless games against weaker teams. So it's I think people are already there, sort of waiting to say, "Well, this international break's rubbish. I hate international football." Um, and I think only a good sort of performance from England will. We'll sort that out and, and sort of keep it quiet. Um, but we'll have to see what they do, I suppose. But it's one of them where I think people are lining up, waiting to write, write the team off sort of thing. Mm. I mean, Southgate won plenty of plaudits for taking England to their first final Callum for, well, since the 60s when they won the World Cup. But also he got plenty of criticism for the team selections that he made along the way. And I think he made a point in an interview during the Euros where he said, you know, if I make a decision on team selection and it backfires I'm dead and I think that was sort of to paraphrase Mm. him what he was hinting at was the fact that you know he's sort of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't he's expected to get the job done because of the quality England have got but if he makes a decision and it backfires then he's the one that gets it in the neck do you think that now that the Euros has been and gone he'll try anything different in the lead up to the next World Cup because a lot of people criticise the decision to play two defensive midfielders when England have got a lot of attacking talent so do you think that in terms of potentially trying something new this is the time to do it with the longest run up until the next tournament or do you think it will be reverting to type for the manager and it will be the same odd stuff as what we've seen before I wouldn't expect massive changes uh, for a couple of reasons the first is the type of character that Southgate is um, he is quite a conservative kind of guy and he doesn't I mean that's why there was two defensive midfielders he, he he's also very much has always said that he does this on on club form um, and I think the only way that you're going to see a massive shift in the team is if some of those players, and this might happen, massively drop off as the season progresses and they start to get really, really tired. Um, but the other the other reason why I don't think we'll see huge changes is the next World Cup is coming next like next winter. This, this is such a compressed calendar and there's actually not a very long run up and they have to, you know, they've got an easy group, they probably will qualify, but they've got to make sure they get the, the job done. And then they've got to go straight into a, into a tournament next winter, I think it is. Um, and I think he'll be looking at that, and I think he'll be he'll be thinking this is a rare opportunity to do what 
it to do an international football what club sides can do, which is have a bit of consistency, have the same players in and around the team and make the most of that time and get that bond going. This team has just played a Euros together. They've been through that kind of historic moment as a team. The bond will be really tight and I think he'll just try and, and ride that wave straight into the next World Cup. I think if you change it too drastically now, as he says, he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't. But I think that would, I think he'll be thinking, no, keep the guys together and keep, keep the momentum going. Yeah, definitely. That group, what they've been through and what they've experienced, I think that brotherhood and that bond that they've shared, I think it would be foolish to try and sort of rip that apart at the seams. So I think you make a very good point. But there will also be sprinklings of new players along the way between now and the new World Cup, Marley, uh, and the next World Cup, sorry. One of those players is Patrick Bamford, who's in line for a debut this evening against Hungary. I don't think he'll get it. I think Southgate will probably pick a strong as possible team because Hungary are the biggest threat to them in terms of World Cup qualification. But do you expect to see Bamford make his England debut at some point during this international break? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, number one, because he deserves it. Uh, and number two, because I think he can still technically go to Ireland if he wanted, I think. Um, so you might as well get him on the pitch and, and stop him doing that. Um, if he, he definitely deserves it. I feel like he'll probably go with Kane tonight. Um, with it being so early in the season, Kane hasn't had much of a pre-season, still getting up to fitness, so I feel like this this is the perfect time to still start Harry Kane and, and start your first-choice striker, but don't see why Bamford can't come off the bench and, and then maybe start the game uh, on, I think it's Sunday, against uh, Andorra, and because uh, that doesn't re- well, it shouldn't really matter who you play up front, they should, they should score and England should win that one comfortably, but yeah, Bamford um, Bamford's did very, very well over the last year or so that he's been in the Premier League. I think he got 17 goals last season, very unlucky to miss out um, and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be good to see him get the reward that his, his play deserves because he was the one who could genuinely have a bit of a gripe about not going to the Euros last summer, even though um, Southgate had a lot of choices in that sort of forward department. Yeah, absolutely. England tonight take on Hungary in the Pushkash Arena in front of 60,000 Hungarians in a World Cup qualifier. Of course, one of three England fixtures throughout this international break period for the three lines. We're going to take a quick break and after that we'll leave the international football behind for a second and revisit the transfer window. The deadline day was a couple of days ago and lots of signings took place and a couple we didn't discuss. One of them took place at Spurs who have signed a Barcelona defender. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. It might be the international break, but we'll still be bringing you a daily podcast here. So if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. On Saturdays, Football Social Daily will be joined by two former Premier League players. So as I say, hit subscribe and keep your eye out for that one. Time to talk about the transfer window. We're going to pick up the pieces from what was a pretty manic day in the top flight a couple of days ago. We talked about a few on yesterday's show, but we didn't talk about this done deal at Tottenham Hotspur. Emerson Royal has joined the club for £27.5 million. That's a ballpark figure, but it's around that much. Um, Serge Aurier has left the club as well uh, as kind of not a part of that deal, Callum, but certainly in and amongst the furor of the of the deadline day. It feels to me a bit like a direct replacement for someone in Serge Aurier who felt like he wanted to leave for a while. Yeah, um, I think Serge Aurier has kind of been angling for that move. Uh, Emerson Royal's kind of the fresh young player. I, I would 
you know, it, I was just looking into him there this morning before we did this, and um, it's a very strange piece of business, certainly from Barcelona's point of view. Um, he's actually only ever played three games for Barcelona. He spent all of his time um, at Real Betis. There was this strange joint ownership thing between Barcelona and Betis when they brought him over from Brazil. Um, but by all accounts, very highly rated. Um, he's played in a very good Betis team. And yeah, I think I think you look at that Spurs side, and especially in defence, um, Everyone talks about the two centre backs that they've that they had for years. There, they need some fresh blood, and they need, uh, yeah, they they just needed signings. I think you're always a little bit suspicious when it's the last day of the transfer window. Mm. Um, but there's there's no reason why he couldn't be a success. I'm sure if he's a good player. Yeah, I think this is indicative of the situation at Barcelona, Mali, because you know, as Callum says, it was this weird joint ownership thing. You know, he was basically signed by Barcelona earlier on in the window and now he's signed a five-year contract at Tottenham some two weeks later. You know, Barcelona are all over the place, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um, it's, I mean, I think I remember saying a few weeks ago when, when the whole Messi situation was playing out that there could be like a fire sale and some some proper bargains to be had at Barcelona and at PSG. Um, with PSG's wage budget going up, they might need to cut players. Um, but Barcelona is is literally a yard sale. I mean, they've um, everyone bar maybe four or five players has probably had their price, and were, they were willing to negotiate. You're probably talking about Piquet, Busquets, um, and Pedri, and a couple of others that might be the ones that you can't buy for any money. But everyone else, there's still some quality players in there, and Emerson. As, as as one of the sort of um, most promising right backs in Spain, done well at Betis for a couple of years. Um, Barca ended up paying another six million euros for him to to bring him out of that co ownership weird strange deal that they they put together with Betis for some bizarre reason. Um, and then I think it was thirty one days exactly since signing for Barcelona and then signing for Tottenham. Um, it's a, it's just, yeah, it, it's a total reflection of how Barcelona are right now because I don't think they, they ever planned on selling him. It's not like they could get a huge um, transfer fee for him by buying him and then instantly selling him. I did think they expected to, to use him as the as one of the, the right-back options this season, but with, um, with Sergio Roberto still at Barcelona and Sergino Dest as well, They've got options there, so he had his price and, and Tottenham spotted that and fair play to Tottenham because they've got a 22-year-old right-back and if everything goes well, I feel like he could be their right-back for five or six years because Aurier was a was a, uh, a car crash waiting to happen every week. You didn't know whether he was going to put in a 10 out of 10 performance and win one of the match or just break someone in half and give away three goals. On Barcelona, like there was the news, uh, I think yesterday, that basically Jordi Alba... Um, and uh, Sergio Busquets have both agreed to take pay cuts so that they can bring the salary cap low enough so they can actually register Sergio Aguero. Um, so it's they're, they're, they're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul and it sounds like it's just a complete mess and I feel like I'm always recommending books on this podcast but there's a really interesting book that came out a couple of weeks ago called Barca and it's kind of about the collapse in that organization and what the executives have been doing and the kind of really strange decisions they've made regarding money and stuff and there's it's actually the, the funniest story in the whole thing is remember when they signed Usman Dembele from Dortmund for like 180 million quid two executives reportedly flew to Monte Carlo met the Dortmund guys in a hotel room and they were like right 80 million tops that's what we're going to spend that's exactly like we're not going any higher than that 
they arrive in the hotel room the two Dortmund uh, executives are standing in there and they go oh listen guys we're so, really sorry like we've got to run uh, we've got to catch a plane back to Germany so it's 180 million like take it or leave it and Barca loan execs just panic and on the spot sign a deal and that's and they paid almost twice as much over twice as much um, as they meant to going in and there's there's stories like that from the last few years um, a plenty and it's just the, the club is an absolute disaster and you see someone like Levy as uh, kind of much smarter savvier operator mm. um, and I would be surprised if that's the last player that um, Spurs signed for Barcelona by this time next year well you mentioned Daniel Levy and I wanted to touch upon Spurs business this window how do you see it how do you assess it Callum because some people might argue that keeping Harry Kane at the club was their best piece of business they could have done I think it is in the short term I think there will be repercussions from that that will kind of you know go beyond this season and possibly next so yes on the face of it they've kept their best player they've kept the England captain one of the most marketable players um, that you can have in this country at the moment and I think Levy will see that as a win and it will see it as a kind of bolstering his reputation as being hard-nosed difficult to deal with um, which in itself kind of keeps clubs at, at, at arm's length however if you're a talented player and you're thinking you know Tottenham might be the next step in your career but the step after that is PSG, Man City, Real Madrid, whoever. Are you going to go to Tottenham when you think that you actually might not get let out of your contract at the end of it? Or or do you really want to be forced into this kind of situation? I wonder if it will actually, you know, because players think about these things now. We've seen Holland this summer. They're all gaming it out several seasons down the line, several moves down the line. Mm. And I, I do wonder what that says to the next Harry Kane if it's between Spurs and somebody else, if he goes well. If you're at Spurs, you're stuck and you're kind of locked in and, and Levy's not an easy one to negotiate with, which means the next move to a bigger, even bigger club might not be so easy. Yeah, I think it's a good point you make, actually, because the fact that the Kane thing was thrashed out in such a public domain, it's uh, it's surely going to have some sort of impact on how agents feel about dealing with Tottenham in the future. Um, but then again, people will argue Harry Kane made a rod for his own back by signing a long-term deal. And you know the stubbornness of Daniel Levy. I think what it will do is put an end to the term gentleman's agreement. I don't think we'll be hearing that too often again uh, in the near future when it comes to transfers. So Tottenham have signed Emerson Royal. And you know what? That makes me think that actually in the Premier League, we've got a lot of players with the same name. We've got two Tiagos. We've got, we did have multiple silvers. And I think yeah. we still do. Um, and is Emerson still at Chelsea? I'm not sure he is. I might have missed that one if he's gone. But it, we're seeing a lot of players with the same names. We need some. We need some variations as well. Yeah, we need a Van Yenegor of Jan Venegor of Hesselink or something <laughs> to pop up and really distinguish himself from the rest. Uh, Tottenham have signed Emerson for 27.5 million. That's one we missed on yesterday's podcast. If you do want to listen back to all of the deals, the significant ones on transfer deadline day, you can just scroll back in the Football Social Daily timeline of this podcast and listen to that show. Or you can visit our website, sport-social.co.uk. Loads of stories kind of summing up the deals done on deadline day. Time for a quick break now, and we're going to talk about no deals that were done on on deadline day because we're going to talk about Newcastle United much to Marley Anderson's delight we'll do it next here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. And it was a significant day of the season on Tuesday because it was transfer deadline day. Lots of deals were done, but there wasn't any activity really throughout the window at Newcastle United, or at least not enough if you're Steve Bruce, because 
The Daily Telegraph have reported this morning that the relationship between Newcastle owner Mike Ashley and manager Steve Bruce is at its lowest ebb. Who better to talk about this than our resident Newcastle fan, Marley Anderson, who loves wagging his chin about Steve Bruce. Uh, any chance he, he's got to uh, to share his thoughts on Steve Bruce, he will share them. So, apparently Steve Bruce is unhappy at a lack of transfer activity, Marley. As much as he isn't loved by Newcastle fans, including yourself, do you think he's got a bit of a point here? Uh, no, not, not really. Um, if their relationship's at its lowest, then fantastic, because it, it means he's, he's a lot closer to the sack. And leaving the club than he than he ever has been, um, he's probably got well going back a year. He's probably got the safest job in the Premier League because he's never getting sacked because Mike Ashley simply doesn't care about football enough to sack him. So, you know, fast forward to to now when people are saying like, um, yeah, he's, he's you know he's annoyed at the uh, the transfer window, but you, you you've got to see that coming. Like Rafa Benitez walked away, one of the mm. world's best managers walked away from the club purely because of broken promises and, and having his hands tied over and over again, couldn't afford, well, was refused £12 million to sign Salomon Rondon, um, was refused to sign uh, a few other players as well. I think he wanted Andros Townsend way back um, when, when, when we initially got relegated. And, you know, this is nothing new. So when Bruce was sat there as Sheffield Wednesday manager, and then Newcastle came in and paid four million to take him away from that contract. You know, rather than just getting all giddy and saying, "Yeah, yeah, of course I'll do it," he he should maybe have thought, "What what's things going to be like in three years' time? What what if I don't get backed? Because Rafa didn't get backed, and if if he's not getting backed, then what chance have I got?" That's that's how he should have looked at this because mm. you can't you can't be surprised by this this strategy you can you can disagree with it or you can accept to work underneath it and that's exactly what he's done um and hopefully now he doesn't sign a new contract um we stay up this season and we get rid of him and start again with someone else because i still think he's he's comfortably the worst manager in the premier league (laughs) um and he's managing a squad that's got a lot more to give than he can get out of them yeah, like you say, the gripe from Steve Bruce was that Hamza Chowdhury didn't join on loan from Leicester, who has been Jeez, a long-time target for Newcastle United. But, you know, it was just as simple as that. A loan deal wasn't yeah, but got over he, the line. And, he, you know, like you say, he should have expected that, yeah. Like, you know, kicking your toys up, you know, kicking your toys out the pram because you can't sign Hamza Chowdhury, who's played less than 20 starts for Leicester in the Premier League. You know, what, what sort of guarantee have you got that he's going to come in and change your change your team around is he is he that good i think he's all right personally he's okay but that's yeah. it he's okay he's not he's not a game changer he's not one of the brightest young talents in england he's just a you know he'd be a squad player at everyone outside um outside the top 6 he wouldn't be anyone who would get into every team sort of in the in the sort of 6th to 15th or something like that he'd be a squad player there so I'm just sort of, you know, the fact that it's Hamza Chowdhury that the straw that brought the camels back is bizarre to me because, you know, it could have been anyone, but, you know, it turns out to be him, and and I don't know, it's just, it's all just baffling. I don't, I don't think he's got a point. I think it's, it's frustrating, but you can't, you can't say he didn't see it coming. It feels like pieces of a puzzle. This, and maybe this is inaccurate for me as an outsider looking in, but if what you say is kind of 
true in the sense that you know Steve Bruce should have expected it and I think you're right he probably should have done and if their relationship is at its lowest ebb as is being reported by the Telegraph then that's a good thing because it could mean that Steve Bruce leaves do you think that with that thought process in mind and like exactly what you pointed out Rafa walked away from the job um, Steve Bruce who isn't as good as Rafa is now getting a bit annoyed about the job do you think that if Bruce does leave that then makes it more difficult for the club to attract a manager of the quality required to improve the squad and make a better tilt of the Premier League season. Because I think it all hinges on this takeover deal. And we just don't know when that's going to go ahead, Marley. And I think that's what it feels like to me. It feels like, you know, if Bruce leaves, it's great. Like what we were saying earlier about Gareth Southgate, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's going to be a tough situation until Ashley leaves. And we don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, um, you, yeah, you're pretty much right on that. But one thing I do think is is everyone wants to be in the hot seat when the takeover happens. Um, so mm. maybe that'll attract a few people. And the second thing is, I think a lot of managers are egotistical and they'll think, "Well, I, no, I can do it. I can get enough out of that team to to um, to be successful and to be loved up there and and all the rest of it." Um, and I think it's kind of like that the. the the situation you're going into, it sort of reminds me of that. Is it that story? Is it, is it, it might be in the Bible or something. You know when they can't pull the sword out of the stone? That's <laughs> King Arthur, isn't it? And everything <laughs> King Arthur. And, is it? I don't know. God, everyone thinks they can. God knows yeah. what it is. Yeah, everyone thinks they can do it and they back themselves because they're big and strong and they think, I can do that, that's fine. And then they get there and they can't do it. And then one guy comes along eventually who can do it. But how far down the line is that? Is When you're talking about a Newcastle boss, it's... It's bizarre that um, you know so many people come in and they have the ego and they have the, the 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 sort of confidence in themselves to think they can do it, and then they get had to get their hands tied. Bruce is the same. He, he thought, yeah, I'm a Geordie. They might love me, and you know I might just click there, but you know completely ignored the fact that he's absolutely useless at his job. So it's one of those things where you're like, well, told you so, but. That has a knock-on effect on the next manager because the next manager might think, well, if Rafa didn't didn't uh, go there and and get back, then I'm not. And Steve Bruce has done the same, and he didn't ask for that much, really. No one's asked for that much, <laughs> and they're not getting it. You know, it's, it's he asked um, for Hamza Chowdhury. No, you'll get what you're given. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, we'll leave the Newcastle chat for there. But I can see why you're exasperated in the whole situation, and I just wonder how that will reflect on Newcastle uh, come Christmas time, because I think it's around then or around January when the Saudi Arabian takeover is due to be heard, I think, in court, or at least finally an answer will be determined as to what the situation is. So those few months are going to feel like an eternity for Newcastle fans who are still trying to figure out what on earth is going on with the takeover. Uh, let's talk about Arsenal now, though. Here's another story from today's newspaper's back pages. It comes from the Daily Mail, and it's uh, regarding Arsenal's new Amazon documentary, which is currently being filmed, and what a start to the season those cameras um, would have been taking in because Arsenal obviously have had a really poor beginning to the new campaign. Martin Erdegaard has allegedly suggested he doesn't like seeing these Amazon cameras around the club, Callum. Uh, do you think that's something that gets overlooked when we talk about, oh, you know, Tottenham have got a new documentary, Arsenal have got a new documentary coming out? It surely must affect the players in some way, do you think? I think it'll affect some of them um, and I think others will be able to put it out of their mind. It's the same way I think that some players 
played better in the empty stadiums when there was no crowds and and some players played worse i think you know different types of personalities like the scrutiny and others don't i think i think the i mean i can't wait to see the documentary i don't i don't know if they can call it all or nothing given that we know kind of which which one of those it is um <laughs> but yeah i think i think as well though Martin Odegaard should remember that um, Arsenal's uh, probably sizable communications department will probably veto absolutely everything um, that is potentially, you know, interesting or compelling or emotional or disastrous. Um, so it might end up being about five minutes long, uh, <laughs> given that's kind of everything that's going on this season. But yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, of course, if if you were being followed around by a, ca- by a camera all day at work, not knowing how it was going to come across, not knowing how it was going to be edited, um, but, you know, I, I think that's also quite a f- uh, convenient excuse for a bunch of mm-hmm. players that, that don't necessarily seem to be clicking yet and don't seem to be working hard enough yet. Um, and yeah, I think I think for some, hopefully it'll, it'll spur them on. But I mean, this has got to be the most eagerly anticipated all or nothing series yet, surely. Is it embarrassing for the Arsenal players to have this documentary being filmed with the way things are going? And is it embarrassing for the fans? Because I know Sunderland fans cop a lot of stick for their involvement in one of these style documentaries. Do you think it is something that clubs are doing? Obviously, they're doing it for for the money. I don't think Arsenal need exposure, put it that way. But I mean, in terms of the entertainment factor and things like that, do you think it's actually an embarrassing thing for the club? Because... Actually, you know, I know Manchester City have had one and Tottenham have had one. And I mean, I couldn't imagine a club like Manchester United, for example, or Chelsea having one. I feel like they kind of protect their assets or their brand a little bit more than others. And, uh, you know, for fear of embarrassment or sort of uh, undermining the, the values of a club, I think that, you know, there is a case for some people to suggest that this is a bit cringy and a bit awkward for the fans. I, I think, I think ultimately... The thing that's cringy and embarrassing and awkward is if that if cringing and embarrassing stuff happens and it's on camera. So it's it's kind of, I guess you know, as, as someone who works on the probably more on the Amazon side of of covering sport, I, you, you would just say, well, you know, as long as the team are winning, the, the Man City one was so tame because they won literally every game and there was like nothing went wrong. And I think football clubs already are quite paranoid organizations and they're constantly worried that they're going to get caught out and they're constantly worried that, that things are going to leak um, and they do and that's fine but I but I also think that the way to combat that is to be open and to be transparent and that's probably the tension that has gone through Arsenal the money will be one thing they'll want to take the money um, but they'll also be thinking you know we don't want stuff to get out but sometimes the best way to stop stuff getting out is to to let it out in our way and control it and own it and like I say they can veto quite a lot of stuff that might end up in a documentary um on the Sunderland one Sunderland one's interesting Sunderland one is embarrassing for the fans because so many of the fans behaved embarrassingly on camera in that documentary hounding the manager and saying quite embarrassing things so I think ultimately you know as long as everyone's kind of sticking to the hymn sheet and doing what they're supposed to do like the Mm. the Man City one it's like everybody says the same thing. Everyone seems to be so well drilled. Players, staff, fans, everybody's like totally reading the script. Um, and it was boring. And yeah, I think I think if, if they're going to be embarrassed, it's because somebody's done something embarrassing. And ultimately, the cameras are just there to capture it. What do you think, Marley? Do you think that Martin Erdegaard has got a point? I think Callum's right that it will affect some players in a different way to what it does, you know, their colleagues. And Martin Erdegaard obviously isn't a fan. I don't think I'd be a fan as well, particularly if things weren't going to plan. 
Uh, I think this is the quickest thing that's gone wrong at Arsenal for a while now. I think Odegaard's been there less than a week and he's already mourning that he doesn't like something. Um, <laughs> so that probably tells you everything you need to know. Um, I think the atmosphere he's going into is uh, just toxic and an all-time low. I think they'll look at things and think, I don't like that, this isn't how things are meant to happen. And the Amazon thing's probably another thing on that, you know. They don't really... You don't need it as a footballer, do you? You don't need that that personal space getting getting breached and everything being recorded because you don't know what's going to go out at all. So if Odegaard turns up and, you know, somebody, um, you know, a pass goes astray in, in, in a poor training session and he calls someone a knob, then, you know, you, you think, oh, God, is that going to go out on the... On the on the thing or what or what because it could do it's out there it's been filmed and all the rest of it so I just think it it sort of seeps into players' mentality and they're probably just thinking God what's what are we going to look like on on this um, and I don't think that can uh, can help especially when you've lost your first three games and haven't scored a goal and all the rest of it so yeah it's probably a not a um, a wise choice right now and just a final one on this I think a lot of people felt that in the Tottenham version of this documentary, Jose Mourinho came across came across quite well, Callum. How do you think Mikel Arteta will come across? Obviously, it's a pure stab in the dark and a guess, because we don't know. We're not the fly on the wall in the dressing room. We'll have to wait and see when it comes out. But how do you think he'll come across? Because a lot of people you see have come out and backed him. I know former colleagues and players of his um, have come out and backed him, teammates rather, people like Fabregas have said, and Pep Guardiola have said, you know, he, he's a good guy, he's a good manager, he, he knows his plan, but, you know, the longer things go downhill for Arsenal, the harder it's going to be for people to stand by his side. How do you perceive him to come across, do you think, in this documentary when it finally comes out? Well, I, I think he's, of everybody in it, I think he's the most interesting thing, right? So he, like, we kind of don't know this sort of, multiple ideas of what Arteta is sometimes it's he's a really nice guy he's really close to the players because he was very recently a player and he's also learned in the sort of Guardiola school of coaching and you know certainly when things are going well he can be very charming he can be very kind of relaxed and articulate and, and obviously has the right ideas but then there's also these stories about how he's lost the dressing room players can't wait to leave um, and you know I guess this will really lift a lid on, on kind of whether that's true and, and the only way we get to see him obviously is when he's in the you know, I I think the artificial setting of a, a post-match or a press conference can sometimes give a false impression of what, what a manager is really like. So, you know, I think Arteta can sometimes be, to me, surprisingly spiky and defensive. You know, within two games, he's already talking about some kind of siege mentality at Arsenal, which may or may not exist. Um, and he can, he can be quite surprisingly kind of combative and, you know, maybe a little bit thinks the world's against him. It will be interesting to see if that is something that then translates when he gets back into the dressing room and the training centre. Um, I think Mourinho, I actually, I would I would firmly suspect that Mourinho became Spurs boss at that time as the documentary was coming in and that was all deliberate because he really was box office. Like the, there was nobody in that squad that was interesting and Mourinho was playing it for the cameras. Even those scenes when Mourinho's like, when he's sitting in his, uh, in his office alone, you know, and he's not forgotten that the camera is hidden in there and he's watching telly and his face, you know, he's doing these kind of pantomime uh, reactions and he's swearing at the TV and he's marching around. Like, he knows exactly what's going on. I'm not sure that Arteta, maybe because of experience or age or just different backgrounds, I don't think he's as, as savvy um, as Mourinho. I think Mourinho is probably the most savvy manager for controlling his image and, and 
manipulating the the media as it were um but yeah i think it will be fascinating to see which arteta is the real arteta this is the last question marley do you think he'll last the length of the shoot <laughs> or do you think we might see a new face at arsenal in the dugout before the release of this documentary um i feel like it's going to be hard for him to stay to be honest um I mean, you've got to have a manager sacking in a documentary, haven't you? You've got to have a manager sacking, a fight, some sort of serious injury. Yeah, it'll be it'll certainly be the uh, the most viewed episode, whichever whichever one he, he gets sacked on, if if uh, if that does happen. But yeah, yeah, um, it'll be, yeah it'll be tough for him. I think he's he's got a hell of a lot of work to do. And in fairness to him, in in absolute fairness to Arteta, I don't think the problem at Arsenal can be solved by one manager. I feel like it's it's many managers' jobs to to slowly improve things at the club. Um, I think the as I've said before, I think the, the problem in Arsenal is ingrained in its mentality of being thinking they're better than they are and thinking they're entitled to things at the club in terms of the players, um, not necessarily the fans or anything like that. It doesn't doesn't go that far, but I think the the players think they're better than they are. I think they feel like. From an outsider, it looks like they they feel like they're entitled to things, and you know to turn up and they can't get beat, and then they get turned over, and when they go one 0 down, they, they they don't fancy it. And I think like that's that's more than one manager's job. So even if they do sack Arteta, the next guy's got to sort it out, um, and he's gonna want money to spend to try and sort it out. Another hundred million here and there, and you've got to pay off Arteta. So it's a it's a bit of a vicious circle right now for Arsenal, I think. So. Even sacking Arteta is not going to be the the be all and end all of it because Emery Emery failed, Arteta failed, or, or is failing, um, and the next guy you would probably say might fail as well. Yeah, absolutely, it is a problem at Arsenal that has to be said. But uh, that will do us today for Football Social Daily. Thank you very much, Callum. Thank you, Marley, for joining us on today's episode of the podcast. As we say, a new show every single day of the season. Hit subscribe that way. You won't miss one. And also leave us a review as well. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts in particular and you like the podcast, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. We're always keen to hear feedback from you guys. So make sure you leave a nice little five-star review if you can (laughs) and let us know what you think. And also follow us on social media at The Sports Social on Twitter. It's Sports Social Official on Instagram. And on Facebook, if you just tap into the search bar Sports Social, you'll be able to find us there. But that's it for today's episode. And we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.